Well, it's great to be back for another episode of Out of the Main, and we are back with another episode of Who Wore It Best in Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Yes, it is. Why is that? Uh, every song we've got today that we are going to compare, when we do Who Wore It Best, it is a comparison of different versions of the same song. Uh, to some degree, we try to decide which one we like the best and or maybe which is the yachtiest. But uh, in this case, every song we're going to look at today has love in the title. Maybe we should have saved this for uh, Valentine's Day with an M. Valentine's. Yep. Or we could just call this the love boat. I've already used that theme, though, so oh. we can't do that. But you can at least give it a ding. There All it right. is. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, jump right in. Okay, or- good. You didn't say dive in. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to use up all my pun bells early. Right. Um, what do we have first? We've got three songs this episode, and where are we starting? Well, let's start with Can't Hide Love, which uh, yes. was uh, written by a guy named uh, Skip Scarborough. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming Skip is a nickname, but I know he wrote a lot of uh, R&B ballads uh, back in the day. So he was known as a songwriter. And we have three different versions. We're going to look at the, I guess, probably the most obvious for people, the Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. We also have J.P. Morgan's version from 1976, produced by David Foster. And then we have a 1982 version that Dionne Warwick did with producer Jay Graydon. Yeah, I was actually most familiar with the J.P. Morgan version. Really? More, yep. than, more than Earth, Wind, and Fire? Yeah, because I, I can't remember ever getting into this. Well, it was kind of um, buried at the end of that um, Gratitude album, yep. which was primarily a live record, right? Yes. Um, so I don't even know if it got big then on the, uh, because of the of Gratitude, or I know it appeared on their first Greatest Hits record, which seemingly everybody owned. True. And uh, that may be where people really took notice of this song. I don't recall. Well, having uh, been introduced to it via the J.P. Morgan slash David Foster version, I was initially taken with the bass ascents that lead the introduction. So listen to this nice bass octave work right, right off the gate. So that's a little more pronounced than uh, we're going to hear later on, and that that immediately caught my ears. Yeah, and it's an aggressive intro for sure with those uh, uh, syncopated hits, and I think the drums are really a little bit. I guess if we're looking at it through a yacht rock lens, they're a little more raw, right? A little drier, a little raw. Well, and the other thing that I compared to contrast it in the same vein is the horn stabs in this one. So this is the Earthwood and Fire in-house horns correct yeah not the uh the uh session cats for hire right they don't feel as tight and snappy to me yeah i can hear that i can hear that you know uh eventually the earth wind and fire horns got a name all their their own and i think got hired as a group but um hmm that's an interesting take on that well, we're going to come back to that. So. Okay. Um, I certainly think this has a, what I would call a pre-yacht sound in terms of the mix. It doesn't have all of the gloss that maybe we're going to hear progressively through the other two. Can't hide love, can't hide love, well I bet you
You can't pretend there's nothing there. Exactly. So just as a general note, I think this one's a little grittier or something. Just not quite as polished. If yeah. We're going to compare it to a David Foster yeah. production here. So And gritty is good. I mean, that's, to me... Or what Earth, Wind, and Fire were sort of about at times. I mean, they could, the thing about this is when you know you've got an Earth, Wind, and Fire song, it it put me sort of on my heels in the sense that how do you say with all the ability that Earth, Wind, and Fire has and all the range of things that they could all do as a group as well as individually, how can you possibly imagine going in and thinking that somebody anywhere could have done a song better than they did. Hmm. And so it immediately put me in a place, well, Earth, Wind, Fire is obviously the one, right? Well, I, perhaps, but uh, were you not impressed with the airplay version of After the Love Is Has Gone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. So, there indeed, you go. So yeah. we've been down this road before. This is true. Um, well, just a little more of the tune, and then maybe we'll move on to J.P. Yep. Morgan's version. So if we get to the J.P. Morgan version, so if we go back to the intro just to compare and contrast, yep. this, instead of those real obvious bass leads, this is what I was used to. It's Foster just on the piano doing the little ascension. So, for what it's worth, Foster is right away making his mark. Yeah, and it's a much rounder mix. It's not completely polished because we're still talking 1976, and I think to some degree Foster is still finding his way. It's his first full album production. Um, it's certainly stellar, but yeah. uh, Foster has not created all of his conventions yet that he will eventually use later. So this still has a... Um, I don't want to say less refined. It's a little more of a stripped-down production. Because of and that might might go to budget, but he does have Bill Champlin on backups on this one, mm-hmm. and um, Ernie Watts is credited as the sax player. Now, do we think he's just in the section, or is this lead solo thing, which sounds like a synth, but it's kind of almost not a synth, makes me wonder. Even though it's not credited that way, could he be playing an iwi, uh, uh, electronic wind instrument? Check it out. <laughs> I assumed that to be a synth, but maybe you're right. I, it's it's filthy. I know that. It, it is. It adds something to this song that the Earth, Wind, and Fire yeah. version lacks. Yeah, so we have uh, personnel to, to finish that out. Like you said, Foster. We clearly can hear the, the tone of the E-Roads in this song. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Parker Jr. and Harvey Mason filling out the rhythm section. So is Ray Parker then doing this uh, little awesome... Uh, Guitar rhythm guitar part that's in your left ear here. Well, bless your soul, you full of you. I know it's true, and so you. That's got to be him, because to me, that even sounds like his style. You can go to radio or the Ray Parker stuff, and you're going to hear that tonality wise. It's 
you could tell to me that it, he is a guitar player that also plays bass because he's kind of hitting it the maybe the way you would slap a bass. Exactly. Not, not from a technique standpoint, but that's what he's getting out of the instrument. And it's not quite the typical yacht rock, uh, plucky, plucky guitar right. at right. all. Right. But right. Right. in that, but it's somewhere it's very between cool. that and a clavichord almost yeah. on guitar. Yeah, right, that's a good way to put it. All right, so let's uh, to compare and contrast with what I said earlier. Let's listen to their approach to the horn stabs and tell me if those don't feel a little bit tighter. So, I don't know. It's just the whole thing feels more Yacht Rocky. I don't know. Indeed. It's David Foster, even early David Foster. Right. Immediately when the drums kick in and we're going full groove, it feels immediately Yachty. I don't know if this song was ever scored, but this is this is what Yacht Rock sounds like, right? Yep. Also what uh, Yacht Rock sounds like is stuff that was produced by Jay Graydon. So, let's oh. go to 1982. Ooh, can we? You want my And uh, Dionne Warwick did this, and I did not realize that she did a version of it. It seems like Dionne Warwick and Jay Graydon are constantly popping up on this show lately with awesomeness, really. What's funny about that is I, growing up, I never really got into Dionne Warwick. No, me either. I knew the hits on the radio, and I'm like, I don't really feel like there's anything worth exploring there. No, but I little did I know. Yeah, I associated it so much with just like lazy, easy listening, and uh, not true. But this one, so there is some overlap. We got Foster on both Rhodes and piano. Now, Foster eventually took that whole layering of piano and Rhodes, became a major convention of his. And even later on, it became piano layered with DX7. But that is a staple of the Foster sound. We got both Graydon and Lukather on guitars. And I'm not sure who's doing what. But I got to point out one thing. I'm not going to point out a lot of moments, but there is some greasy fill here starting at about uh, three minutes. Like, holy moly, what is this? Fill on what? Guitar. Oh, okay. Well, let's hear it. All right. Now's the time to try to find a I never <laughs> noticed that, and I just yeah. listened to it. You got to wait for Five it. Five times. Yeah. Well, let's round out. Uh, so, uh, who is the rhythm section on this one? I think, uh, Abe Laboriel on bass, Steve Gadd on drums. I think it's got the best groove of the bunch. Yeah. It's so, got those, uh, I think that's Luke doing the plucky palm mutes. I don't know because they're so similar. But Yeah, it's hard to say. They yeah. both could do that so well. So, let, let's. Uh, what's the tale, tale of the tape here? Do you have a, a favorite out of the three? Well, real quick, I got to round out my uh, examination of the stabs here. Ah, yes. Because uh, Graydon probably, I'm guessing, yep. uh, adds a little something to what we've heard before because after the initial stabs, then there's a wait for it on count two of the next measure, the final punctuation. <laughs> Your candy, yeah, worthy yeah, yeah. of Halloween, yeah. Oh, yeah, a little late. <laughs> All right, so yes, uh, tail of the tape. I mean, I have my clear winner, okay, much to my surprise and shock. Okay, do you want to reveal that, or should I give my evaluation and then you can yeah, give your evaluation? Us. Okay, to me, 
I, I thought going in, like I said, it had to be Earth, Wind, and Fire, and it's certainly the most well-known, but I do think the covers have improved on the original in this one. Uh, Dionne Warwick's, I would call that the most refined arrangement, smoothest, and par- probably yachtiest. I mean, it's right there in 1982. But my fave is the J.P. Morgan thing. It has a swanky feel to that groove that is just a little bit underproduced, and uh, but still yachty. Uh, so I love that. They're dang close, though, man. Really. Okay. All right. So I went in thinking for sure that J.P. Morgan could not be dethroned, and I came out of it with a clear winner. Dion Warwick. Nice. I think it's the combination of Foster and Graydon, which also gets you Jerry Hay and the boys. Yeah. Steve George, Richard Page, Johnny Mathis on vocals, Yaza. not on that song, but mm. Bill Champlin is. It's like, that's magic. When yep. we got all that into a room, I, I was shocked. I didn't think I was even going to like that version because I wasn't familiar with it. And I, as soon as I heard it, it was easy. The Ooh, champ. The excellent. champ. Yeah. All, all right. right. Well, Where's the our, where's love leading us next? Love is leading us to a song written by David Foster and Carol Bayer Sager, and this has been done a few times. Has it ever been a big hit? It seems like it should have been. I don't know what's it uh, called. It's been done by some big artists. It's called "It's the Falling in Love." So we know the obvious one, the Michael Jackson one. Uh, it was kind of a album track from Off the Wall. Carol Bayer Sager did her version of it on what I believe is her second album. It's called Two T O O. And here we go. Dionne Warwick again, 1980, from uh, an album called No Night So Long. And it was produced by Steve Buckingham, who is a Nashville producer, Hmm. country guy. I know him from producing, uh, like I say, country records, like Ricky Van Shelton. You know, so those are the three we're going to look at. All right. Which that version is going to be surprisingly yachty for a Nashville guy. I thought it was Graydon again, but. We're going to start with Michael? Start with Michael. Well, before we even start with Michael, it's interesting that the song starts with a female vocalist. Yeah. Who I presume to be Patty Austin, because she's on backup vocals. She is listed as that. Yeah. So let's listen to the beginning of this. Then when the groove kicks in, we've got... That is being provided by your boy, Lewis Johnson. We got J.R. Robinson on the drums. Foster did the uh, rhythm arrangement. He's on synths. We got Jerry Hay and the boys. Phil and Gaines on the EP. And a Wah-Wah Watson on guitar. You're not like anybody I ever knew. But that don't mean that I don't know where we are. And though I found myself attracted to you. Yes. Well, of course, I could not uh, help but focus on the bass line. Oh, yeah. So let's listen to, uh, in case you got yourself uh, overhooked into the melody of the song, listen to what the bass is doing under. It's the falling in love that's making me high. It's the being in love that makes me cry, cry, cry. It's the falling in love that's making me high. It's the being in love that makes me cry, cry, cry. Yeah, so it, uh, I noticed that this one leans a little bit disco-ish. Mm-hmm on that refrain section, but then the verses fall into more of a Yachty-type groove, but there is certainly a disco underpinning to what they're doing here. Yep. And do you think that's driven by the bass? I mean, the bass is yeah. even more mid-rangey than a typical hat. Lewis Johnson 
uh, bass yes. tone. Yes. Um, but it allows him to, I, I got to just fast forward to the third time after yeah. we get to the key change. There's a key change and then the third chorus, which is going to be a recurring theme for all three versions. And yeah. this is basically a bass solo with a song over it. And so this is at about <laughs> three minutes. Listen to my boy, Lewis Johnson. Yeah, you're right about that tone. I wonder if that is so that when he does those disco octaves, you're hearing that boom, bet, boom, bet, yep. boom, bet. He kind of does, he has a very similar thing because Quincy produced this as well, right? Yeah. Because on the Thriller album, he does he has a similar tone and has a very busy bass line in, I think it's PYT. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's I think it's by design. It's like we want this to, if it's more boomy than that, it's going to totally anchor the song. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. So All right. also he had the Hey Hey Kids on that one, Jerry. Hey, hey. Yeah. Hey and the boys is on that. So nineteen seventy eight. So that was nineteen seventy nine. So that would have been the cover because nineteen seventy eight is when Carol Bear Sager released it. And we've got, um, this one has Foster on keys, Hungate on bass, so he gets to do the bass solo with a song attached to it. Yes, he does. Ed Green on drums, Lukather on guitar, Champlin and McDonald on backups. Now, what do you want, you had something to say about that. As in Michael McDonald. Yeah. But I don't know, it's not him, I think it might be Champlin, whereas the last version is done by a male artist, but leads off with a female doing the intro. Mm-hmm. Now we've got the intro to this one. It's going to be Carol Bayer Sager, but we're going to do the intro with a falsetto male vocal. Who's this? Champlin? It's the falling in love that's making me high. It's the being in love that makes me cry. Well, uh, what, free behind-the-scenes access uh, to the podcast for anyone who could tell us if that's uh, (laughs) Champlin or McDonald? Bonus (laughs) points if you are Champlin or McDonald. Yes. Then you get to come right on the show. So it's a little slower groove. Yep. Um, Certainly more Yachty in feel than Michael Jackson. It's toned down the disco-ness to some degree, right? Yep. This version also has the Hey Hey Kids in it, It by the way. It does. Um, very cool breakdown section later on where those vocals get featured again, and it kind of leads us into that key change and where the energy picks up. I like that. All right, well, let's hear how Hungate uh, treats that little, his chance to have a bass solo underneath the song. L- listen for this. This is like classic Hungate, or at least my favorite part of the stuff that he does, the sliding of the multiple notes yeah. for effect. That type of thing. Here it is. gonna slap me because i think that's too much i, I honestly too. think it's too much i think if he had done it once right it, it would have been clever but it's like here it's like <laughs> I, I know it's like having a penny whistle in the song or something it's like, <laughs> whoop, whoop. It, uh, my final note was it's a very natural feeling mix i like that it's very typical of 1978 going back to sort of the comparison with the uh 
uh, J.P. Morgan song versus the Dionne Warwick 82. And I guess we're going to have that sort of same kind of thing here where this is the most natural feeling mm. mix to me. I think so too. And again, this was another song that I heard out of order because I heard this song and then realized it was on Off the Wall, which is an album yeah. I never really listened to by Michael Jackson. So this was my portal into this tune. I prefer it to the Michael Jackson version. Well, we still got Dionne Warwick. Uh, oh, I know. I'm so, holding my final vote. All right. 1980, Dionne Warwick. There's really no typical personnel on this one as the Tower of Power horns. Um, as we said, it appears as though it was produced in Nashville, though I wouldn't say this sounds like a Nashville record. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, let's listen to a little of this version and tell me this doesn't sound like a uh, Jay Graydon joint. It's yachty. A little faster, yeah. and it sort of mixes some disco feels with yachty feels. A lot a lot of yachty feels, but it's not, I wouldn't call it yacht disco either. No. I don't know who calls what yacht disco, but I wouldn't call it that. I don't know what I call anything anymore, right. but I, um, I do know that when I find Isaac Hayes on a Nashville record, I know something's up, because <laughs> he's not on the song, but he plays Hammond Organ on this record. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the bass part. So this is now... Um, a bass player, Tom Robb, who I'm not that nope. familiar with. He's not a yacht guy, for sure. He takes more of a fingered approach than slapping mm -hmm. and popping. So I don't know if we want to hear his go at the uh, key change at 242 and hear how he kind of... I don't know if this is so much a solo underneath. Right. Yeah, a little different. Yep. You know what I noticed going through this? This is sort of like a um, um, sort of a theme within the theme. Is it um, in both cases the "Can't Hide Love" three songs, as well as this? It's the "Falling in Love." In all cases, they're pretty much working from sort of the same arrangement, right? Yeah. There's mm -hmm. a lot of same things. A lot of things that are treated with similar grooves, similar feels, uh, same roadmaps, all that kind of stuff. It's not as though in any of these cases, they completely stripped down and reinvented the song from the ground up. It's almost as though they heard this other version and really liked it and said, you know what? I love everything about that, but I think I could do this to it, this little tweak, or I think I could do this better. Um, you know, because people have asked me when I did page 99 covers why I've done them similar to the original. Well, I want to pay homage to the original, right. but there were things in the original that I hear that I felt could be a little bit different, a little bit better. And I think that's what they're doing here as opposed to saying, well, let's completely reimagine it. Yeah, because we've talked about how how just like common it was for almost contemporaneous covers to be out there within yeah. either the same year or within a year or two. And so in most cases, when they do that, they don't reinvent the song. You're right. Yeah. I well, mean, this I'm thinking is 1978, of, 79 and 80. We're yeah, talking. Right? right. Yeah. Who did it in 81? We should go looking for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. You got a winner who wore it best. Uh, who wore it best? Uh, I actually think I like the Carol bear Sager version the best. Then Michael, than Dion, but again, they're all fairly close, but I'm going to go with uh, CBS. All right, I have a split decision. Ooh. I think Carol Bayer Sager's version takes it, but the middleweight belt goes to Lewis for his mid-range bass solo on the Michael uh, Jackson okay. version. Okay, I yeah. get you. I get so. you, okay. 
You're always good. breaking the rules. This entire episode is a lesson in bass, by the way. You, what you should do is maybe I'll post the playlist that we created that has all these songs. Just listen to the bass work throughout. It's amazing. Well, that's all you ever do anyway. Let's learn with that. Yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All right. Love Never Felt So Good. Yeah. Co-written by Michael Jackson and Paul Anka. And so there's some sub-stories to this. So we're going to look at... Um, well, we're going to look at the Johnny Mathis version from 1984, Special Part of Me album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Anka did it himself in 2022. Wow. On an album called Sessions, yeah. Michael Jackson, uh, his Escape album, 2014. And then we have an unknown competitor that has entered the ring, and this is from 2021. Someone named Ren Yamamoto from an album called Yang. So those are the four. All right. We get four in the ring. This yeah. is like a cage match. Right. Where right. do you want to start? Let's start with the Johnny Mathis version. All right. I think it's something of an outlier to the others. Okay. Um, what I love about the song is, to me, I feel like it's super yachty. So it's 1984. Yeah. Right? I think this is... That that album is a lesson in how to sound yachty, but uh, this song in particular... Who really produced this it. album? <laughs> Denny Dianti, who I don't really know much about, but he knew enough to get personnel. We got Nathan East, our friend Marty Walsh. Marty Walsh is on this one? Marty Walsh. David Williams. Uh Uh-huh. Jerry Hay and the Boys. Yep. Ernie Watts. J.R. Robinson on drums. And it's just a nice, open mix. I like the use of uh, flutes on this intro riff. So yeah, very smooth, very yachty. Very smooth. Again, this yeah. is a bass lesson just waiting to happen. Nathan East on bass. I got Nathan mm-hmm. FTW for the win. Ah. Hopefully you were able to listen to the bass in that intro as well, because just keep listening for it the more we play. Um, well, let's feature, actually, this is an excellent part to feature, because now we've got Louis Conte on percussion. Oh, yeah. So this, there's part in the middle of this tune where they do this little kind of breakdown, and it ends up being an Ernie Watts sax solo, sort of atypical for him, because yeah. not a ton of flourishes, but then the Louis Conte percussion is so tasty, and then the bass underneath is just awesome. Let's listen to this. All right. Mm, mm. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, love never felt so good is right. <laughs> so James Ingram also on backup vocals. So well, it's like, <laughs> how did I miss that? Wow. I don't know. But uh, this, oh, this poor note taker, apparently. Danny Deontay didn't miss it either. He knew how to uh, do a Got Rock record even Boy, back in 84. Didn't he though? And there's other great songs on that record, man. Wow. Again, did you ever think you'd go back to uh, a Johnny Mathis catalog and be like, wow, no. this dude rocks? No, no, no. <laughs> All right, so uh, lots to love, but let's move on to Paul Anka's version. So this is like a recent version of his own song. Yeah, and here we're going to break the mold. In this case, on this song, we've got complete reinvents in yep. a lot of cases. So this is different than what we talked about before. We have a complete 
reinvent here. It was so much that when I first started listening to it, I'm like, hmm, kind of meh. But the longer I sat with it, it absolutely grew on me. Well, you heard how it gets yachtified just prior. Right. Let's just hear the song in its maybe purest form, which is Paul Anka's version. Oh, baby, love never felt so good. And I doubt that it ever could. Not like you hold me, hold me. vibe just started to grow on me as the song went further and further man well you know what i had a similar reaction to like at first it was kind of meh but then as i'm listening to it i'm thinking this shows what a great song it was at its core yeah the song that he wrote is really really good yeah because there's not anything happening around it that's heavy with flourishes and even vocally he's certainly very tame in his approach right i mean he never was a whaler but no no it's just interesting that he was collaborating with Michael Jackson. I I think they wrote the song for the Thriller album and they never made it. Oh, no kidding. I believe so. Okay. Yep. So well, it was a 1983 writing session in uh, right, Thriller came out in 84, didn't it? Oh, well, I didn't realize all that. So, Well, this all comes back to play with the Michael Jackson version that yeah. does come out. So what was the... The single, well, the, the album was Escape. In a lot of cases, it was after Michael had passed and they were taking stuff from the vault. What could we bring out of the vault? What could we remix from the vault? And hit, they had a semi-hit because they did a version, a remix version of some of the original vocal probably from this, maybe more than just the original vocal from this, but uh, with Justin Timberlake. And that was the single that got released. It's kind of a hit, right? So I guess so. Well, let's listen to this version. This is 2020, or sorry, 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can hear the, um, even like the finger snaps that sound like they came right off the off the wall record, but then the drums that are added in are very much um, uh, sampled drum machiney thing. It is. It kind of lacks vibe to me. I'm not sure. I, I am not crazy about what Justin's take on this. Was, I agree. Personally. And same, similar with the bass. Like it's fake bass. That's trying yeah. to sound like real bass, but it's obviously fake. So there's no energy yeah. to it. But what I in this verse, I can hear a yacht rock song in here. That's what I'm thinking. Like. I, Done right, done differently. There could be a yacht rock tune in here, Which or at least Johnny a good R and B proved. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that Escape album features three verses of the song. Yeah, which is interesting. So it's got which is that news one. to me. Yes, the there's also a version that just has the original vocal. So Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. I don't know reference vocal or real vocal. Paul Inca's piano, and that sounds like this. Makes me wonder if they were recording the writing session and this was sort of the demo that they threw down yeah. when they were done. Just piano vocal kind of thing. And, and then the finger snaps are in there. Yeah, right? and never came back to it. Yeah. Right? So, it, but going back to what we just said, a about hearing a yacht rock song in there, and then Paul Anka showing what a beautiful song it was. This could have been a huge hit, I think. They opened the album with an, uh, a third version of it, which appears to be 
Yeah. Well, uh, this is somebody it's... taking that track and trying to finish it in a yes. way that maybe Michael would have, I guess. I came across an interesting article about this. And so this is John McClane must be the producer of this. Mm -hmm. So John McClane, I'm just going to read to you if you don't mind. John McClane's take on Love Never Felt So Good excises Timberlake entirely in service of a classicist, sweeping disco ballad treatment replete with splendid sweet strings and Inca's original piano line as a melodic anchor. Mm -hmm. Given the comparable material present on Off the Wall and Thriller, McCain's vision, while conservative, is not a touch smaltzy could hold closest to Jackson's vision for the song. After all, the guy who wrote The Girl Is Mine is no stranger to schmaltz. Mm. But he also says there's magic in a guitar line that laps at Jackson's vocal like fire against glass. Ignore all that, because he gets interesting here. A touch that brings to mind Niall Rogers' work on Daft Punk's Get Lucky. Let's Ooh. listen for that here. So yeah. that, that sounds like he took that writing set. If that was indeed a writing session demo, it sounds like he took that, tempo mapped it, and rebuilt around that. So that's why the original Anka piano line would be there. Yep. And it's I think it's getting closer to probably what the vision would have been. The strings are a bit swooning to me. So yeah. uh, that takes the Yacht Rock out of it anyway. All right. Anything else on this? <laughs> those three versions. No, well, let's move on to version number four. So this one is a, as I said, this is a complete retake. This is a funky retake. Entirely different groove, entirely different feel, entirely different sound, much more modern. Let's check out a little bit of Ren Yamamoto. I think it's kind of cool. It's programmed, like it. yeah. Um, but it's still. This goes back to grooves, right? It manages to groove even though it's programmed drums. Yeah, but the cover shows him holding a bass, so it makes me think he is the bassist among other things. So I'm, you know, the bass is certainly grooving in this one. Yeah, I think he pays sufficient homage to whatever we're going to call the original. But so I liked it in that. Yeah, he respect. doesn't take the song out of it. Nope. Right. Not at all. But check out this cool, I'm calling it a jam part around three minutes in because I don't know what else to call it. But okay. let's listen to this. Yeah, that's some funkin' jams, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, the drums—they're probably programmed. But boy, they're—if they're programmed, they're programmed really well. There's some fills in there that are pretty convincing. So maybe it is real. It could be live drums with a loop 
yeah. on top of it or something. I yeah, don't know. It grooves, though. It's, I, I find it funky, man. Yes. So this one wins my honorable mention. Sorry, you're not going to dethrone that Mathis version. No. Let's get to the voting, but this is honorable mention because it's quite honorable and it's worth mentioning. All right. Well, I got Johnny Mathis, one. Yep. Ren Yamamoto, two. Okay. Anka, three. And Justin Timberlake, four. <laughs> Actually, five, if I could put him there. All right. I've got, uh, yeah, I've got uh, Mathis for sure. Then I've got Yamamoto. Then I've got uh, any number of versions, probably not the Timberlake version, but the John McClane version of Michael Jackson's. And I think Anka's is yeah. fourth Yeah, for I me. think if we if we had covered that original version, we yeah. were all learning this on the fly, then that may have moved up to number three for me. All right. Well, love was in the air, and uh, you can't hide love, though. That's the thing. I mean, it's the falling in love and yeah that's yeah, what but- it's all about i believe there's a storm of brewing uh well lightning never felt love never felt so lightning lightning around here we go all right we stumbled our way here now Oof. what do we do i don't know we'll stumble our way through it right. uh found it sea all right. Well, I've got a found at sea. I've been listening more and more for whatever reason to the Yacht Rock Sirius station. I don't know if you've been following that at all. Um, it's becoming less and less Yacht Rock as we go. I don't even have Sirius anymore. Okay. So Seriously. That's what I think of it. <laughs> so, well, they're playing songs by like Susie Quattro and stuff. On this. It's like, come on. But oh, if yeah. it didn't have the Yacht Rock label, I would like the station. Right. But here's something right. that I found at sea that they played, which is... Love is the answer, but this is the Utopia version. Are you familiar with this? I am. Yeah, so that's the original version. Todd Rundgren, writer, producer, leader of Utopia. Uh... I'm not crazy about that version. Me Maybe because I came in through the back door, but the cover that uh, England and John Ford Coley did is far superior. So good. This seems to be, again, another recurring theme. So the recurring theme is that uh, we've got a who wore it best in my lightning round. But also, yeah, sometimes when you hear the cover first, that becomes the original in your mind and nothing else can top it. Yeah. And and you got love in the title, so you managed to tie that <laughs> in, too. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, uh, cool. What do you, right, you found it? See, I've been holding on to this one for quite some time, and so I had to randomly put this in. Uh, people that follow this probably know if you're a vinyl enthusiast at all, you probably know that the Steely Dan catalog is getting retreated, getting remastered, and uh, wonderfully reproduced. So I've been buying those, right? And I was recently listening to the uh, Bernie Grunman master of. Uh, countdown to ecstasy mm-hmm. and so like the old days i happened to have the sleeve out and i'm reading the uh, liner notes and it's kind of funny because they have this section where obviously donald and walter and or maybe both um wrote little summations for every song <laughs> yes so i'm gonna run through that real quick one so for bodhisattva that's how that's pronounced um they write diaz as in denny diaz the bebopper meets baxter the skunk beneath the bow tree in this altered blues. <laughs> Razor Boy, the legendary, quote, giant girlfriend of Camden, New Jersey area, sees the specter of Benny King as a child in a nightmare of cosmic proportions. This sounds like when you used to get the TV guide and they would explain <laughs> what this week's episode of Starsky and Hutch was about. <laughs> the Boston Rag, enervated after atta- an attack 
of unrelieved nostalgia, Jeff Skunk Baxter sheds his outer skin and stands revealed as a wild boy. In a very special episode of Yeah, Katie Lied. Your gold teeth. In this number, these your <laughs> naps, number, several members of the Dan get to stretch out. Okay. Showbiz kids, the Dan moves to LA and is forced to give an oral report. <laughs> wow. We always think that's what they're writing a lot about. My old school. A poignant memoir inspired by the giant girlfriend mentioned before, sometimes referred to as the Anima Camden. No idea okay. what that means. Pearl of the Quarter, they simply wrote, ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> and King of the World, I think my face is on fire. <laughs> oh my God. What did they write for Shark Sandwich? Oh, uh, uh, you can't print that. Okay. You can't say it on TV All right. either. This isn't TV. All right, so uh, Buried Treasure. Well, when you go searching for something, you don't know what you're going to find. And you know what I found on that Ren Yamamoto album? Another great cover. <laughs> what oh, a fool really? believes. Ah, yes. Your four by one hundred, baby. Reimagined. Yeah. So they do the uh, the the doobie bounce on guitar. I thought that was interesting. He treats it well. Yeah. It's, again, it's a funky retake, similar to what he did um, before. But I, I like it. I, I think the song still stands. That whole album is worth exploring, okay. as I found out. Very yep. good. A lot of funky jams in that one as well. Mm. All right. So my buried treasure, because. I, you know, I was obscured by the Timberlake version. I'm going back to track one off Escape, and I'm going to give uh, was it Steve McLean, John McLean, yes, uh, diehard fan. Yeah, uh, credit for polishing up "Love Never Felt So Good" this way. pretty good yeah I, I i think that captures the right vibe at least for what they had to work with you know rebuilding i think that's a, a darn fine job of it in just a little homework assignment go listen to all of those versions and by the end of it you're going to be like this would have been a number one hit i'm, I'm convinced of it now mm, good song okay all right and then uh so that's my buried treasure i'm going off the map here all right this could have been a buried treasure because it's a song i forgot i forgot by cool in the gang which I guess takes it off the map, but yeah. it's sort of in category. I know you remember the song because we've talked about yep. it, but I totally forgot about Misled. Yeah, I love the the way that they started to introduce the power chord guitar into their sound in this particular era. Yeah. That was you know, we're listening to all this yacht rock and yacht adjacent stuff, and not once have I heard misled by Cool in the Gang anywhere in the vicinity. Mm. But I think it belongs. Yeah. In the conversation. James J. T. Taylor is one of the great, great voices of the eighties for sure. I'm coming back to Cool in the Gang in a future episode you just should. to warn you. All right. 
All right. Also found at uh, C. This is off the map, but again, yeah, could also where are be, we? Could, well, did we start over? It's off the map, but it could also be called uh, a found at C because listener Dennis had pointed out in one of the yacht rock groups that the yachty legend songwriter uh, Randy Goodrum. You're familiar with his work? Oh yeah. I'll be over you. He co-wrote uh, "Foolish Heart," "Bluer Than Blue." He wrote "Bluer Than Blue." Yeah, really? It's sad to belong. That uh, England Dan John Ford Coley kind of under the too. radar hit. Uh, he wrote uh, "If She Would Have," if she would have been faithful, that Chicago did. Mm-hmm. But he pointed out that he, he co-wrote with Steve Walsh and Steve Morse, 1986, "Power" by Kansas. Now, there you go. That is off the map, but I found that at sea from listener Dennis. 1986. So, I guess when a prog band wants to uh, write some radio hits, they bring in yeah. Randy Goodrum. Who better? Yeah. All right. Well, just a review. We had Can't Hide Love because it's the fallen in love. Mm-hmm. Love never felt so good. And Ahoy, Pull Love. No, wait. Ahoy, Pull Living in- 